0: Stuff. Well, I've been I've just been thoroughly challenged myself. Just as we've looked at this whole series on destiny and purpose, and uh, I just encourage you to get notes or go through the CD or something, but begin to lock in on doing something. Don't just hear it. Begin to start to think about your life. Uh, During the week, some of the young people went into young professionals went into the streets and they got a video camera. They put it in people's uh, face and they said, "Well, tell us what's your purpose in life." And, and like we said before, about 95% or more couldn't say anything of sense. Yeah, to get wasted. Well, that, that's, a, that's a heartbreaking statement. So that's all someone's living for? They, they really are lost, you know. They really need to be saved. See? So we have what people need. We just need to be confident in that. They don't always know we have what they need. For years, uh, for years... I've had people who've been distant from me and then suddenly in a short space of time it all turns around and, you, and they realize we have what they need. Isn't that wonderful? I was there last night at a, at, a, at a house function and I could see Mike and Lindley had what others needed. Isn't that wonderful? i love to see that in you, that you have something that someone needs. It's your purpose in life. Represent Christ, begin to exercise His dominion in your life. Begin to become productive and fruitful. Begin to make your life increase and have an impact on others. You'll never be happy unless you do. You never will be. You can't be. You're designed for that. Okay, so let's go into Ephesians chapter 2. I've got a couple of favorite verses to start with. Then we're going to look at the keys in discovering your purpose. And I gave a couple last week. I want to really get through the list today. And uh, by grace, verse 8: By grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. No works lest anyone should boast. How many people here are saved? Good. How many know that you didn't do anything to get saved? Someone did it all for you. So no boasting, okay? We just thank God he just reached out and saved us. He's a good God. Amen. No doubt. How many people here were very resistant to people sharing with you about Jesus Christ. You, you resisted and you had your own ideas and your own thoughts. How many were like that for quite a while before you got saved? Yeah, it's a lot of us, isn't it, really? And uh, Well, it's true, but God persevered. Because he still has got a plan for your life. Now here it is. Where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, we should walk, walk in them. So God is, first of all, we see in that verse, God is working on your life. God, you're his workmanship. God is working on you. You're, you're a work in progress. Sometimes you look up a website and you look up a, on the part of the website and it's all developed. And then you look at another part of a website and they've got this a digger, digging. And it's work in progress. In other words, it's not yet finished, and you can't quite see all it's going to be, but you know something's going on behind the scenes. It's like our life. Our life has got like a sign on it, work in progress. God is working on our life. What's He working on? Well, He's working to confront things in our life that cause us to self-destruct. He's working to plant seeds of vision and hope and destiny in us. He's working to encourage us to dare to believe and to do the things He wants us to do. So we're His workmanship, and we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So before you came into this world, God had something for you to do. Notice, works. Not good intentions, not prayer meetings, works. Now there's nothing wrong with coming to prayer meetings and praying and reading the Bible, but at the end we have to do something with our life. We must put our faith into an expression in real life, That can be called works. We did something. And so when we look at this issue of works, we see that long before you came into this world, God planned works for you to do. Your purpose, the purpose that God has for you is designed uniquely for you. So God has things for you to do, things for me to do. And so it's our responsibility to discover those things. If we try and live without God, we live a life without real purpose or real focus because we're not really sure why we're here or what it's all about. So our first step to discovering purpose is to enter into a relationship with God, a relationship... Now, a relationship with God is not like a Santa Claus thing where I come and just ask Him, "Well, Lord, I want to know where I'm going, what should I do? It ain't going to work that way. God's not going to share everything with you just because you come and ask Him straight off. You know, the Bible says it's the honour of kings to search things out. So discovering our purpose in life is... Part of our walking with God, discovering what He called us to do, discovering in who we are in Him, it's a journey, and it unfolds like a scroll as we take the first steps. So I don't think God is just going to drop into you all your life what He's got ahead for you. When He he spoke to Abraham, He just said, Abraham, I want you to leave that country, and I want you to go out to a place I'm going to show you, and it's going to be an inheritance for you and for your family for generations. And He obeyed, and He left. So he had to leave something behind and embrace trusting God. And in doing that, he became a father of every person who believes. But what did he do? He actually let something go to walk into something, and he wasn't sure where it would all go. And that's what you and I do when we receive Jesus Christ. We trust our life to Him, and we step out of sin. We step out of running our own life. And the deal is this, that you actually surrender to Him. But you see, what happened? Imagine what Abraham would have have done if he had just said, well, I'll go a little bit of the way, but actually I'd really like to go back here. And um, You don't mind if during the week I go back over here. There was no going back. It was a one-way street. I am following the living God, and I will walk with him wherever he takes me, into whatever he takes me. Did Abraham do it all well? No. He had fear. He made mistakes. He told lies. He had lots of things went wrong on the way, but God got him where he was supposed to go because without any uh, holding back, he was willing to let go the best he had for God. So God tells us very clearly in these scriptures, there's a purpose unique for you. There's things for us to do, but it comes out of surrendering to the Lord and walking with him. If we want to save our life, we'll never discover these things of God. If you're trying to save yourself, you're trying to actually hold on to your own life, you've missed the deal. The deal is Jesus gave everything for us that we might give everything to Him and then enjoy the journey with Him. It's a great journey. Like when you hold half it back, it's a real problem. Anyone who's tried to run a marriage and you hold half your life back, you know it doesn't work. And so we walk with God. Okay, now here's some keys to discovering purpose. So we looked at uh, some of them. Here's the first one. The first, the key of desire. The key of desire. Desire touch just a little bit on that again. Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself or become soft and and let go to God and open your heart to Him. Allow Him to be able to shape and mold you. He will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, desire is something God has put inside us. We have good desires and then we also got bad desires. The good desires come out of the godly nature in us. The bad desires arise out of our flesh. Is there a point in our life where we'll never have any bad desires? Yes. Five minutes after you're dead. Up until then, you will have these things that you struggle with. The good and the bad exist together. And after you become a Christian, they still exist together, except now you have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to overcome the bad desires. Whatever you focus on, that will be the thing that will grow strongest in your life. If you feed your lusts and feed your wrong desires, they will grow until they burn in you. If you starve them, they'll diminish, but you've got to focus on something that is really something that you desire. Most people, when they go off into sinful desires, it's because they've lost sight of the purpose that God had for them because locked into that purpose is a passionate desire. It's something inside you, if you were really honest, I wanted to do this. I have watched some of you, when you found what you really had as God planted desire in your life, you come alive. Remember me here and watched her getting around people and reaching them for the Lord. It was like a fire burned inside her. Every time she talked to someone, there was a li- she was alive and full of fire. So, so we see desire as the key. So in the Bible tells very clear, we do, so we're to delight ourselves in God and then begin to discover what is it I really want. Many times Jesus said, what do you want? What do you really want? When I first asked myself that question, well, what do you really want? There was a deafening silence that went on for quite an uncomfortably long time. I realized I had too much of my life pleasing everyone else. And that was why I couldn't hear myself anymore. Listen, if you live your life trying to please people, the desire that is in your heart will diminish and diminish and diminish until you can hardly begin to discover it. But as you kindle your relationship with the Lord and your desire and longing for His presence, then godly desires begin to start to come back again. You begin to start to discover, there's something in me I really want to do. So desire, what do you really want? That's one of the things that's a key to the purpose of God in your life. Here's the second one, passion. What is it stirs passion or fire? In John 2.17, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. God is a passionate God. He's a passionate lover. He's a passionate pursuer. He's passionate about sin. He hates sin. That's why I love this kind of word. I love it. I hate it. That's good talk, isn't it? Hey, you know, he loves things that are good. And he hates things that are evil. If, you're a, if you lie, he hates lying. If you sow discord and rumors and run people down behind you, he hates that. And so one of the ways you want to walk with God, discover what he likes and what he hates and start to like what he likes and hate what he hates. You'd be amazed how your life will change. Just agree with what he loves and I'll oh, make that my things I love too. So passion is like a fire. Jesus was full of fire. Now, how do we know he was full of fire? Because he went into the church one day and he looked around and he saw that the place where people should be worshiping God, feeling the spirit of God, being in love with God, people are used, They're exploiting others and they're, they're ripping them off and, and charging money. They made rules and regulations. You, you could only make an offering if it was a certain kind of money and, and, you, and they just ripped everyone off doing the money exchanges. I remember being over in Burma. And we we took so we went through, as, as with Dave, I think, and, uh, and we, we went through the customs, and I thought, well, we change a bit of money. There's a government, government, government changer there. And so we changed some money. Well, they gave us half what we'd have got outside. They ripped us off completely. The government. See, I got a little bit upset. I was really glad I only made $20. That was good. And the rest of the stuff we changed elsewhere and got a lot more for it. But, see, corruption. People hate corruption. There's something about corruption inherently. We just hate the injustice of it. And and Jesus was passionate about it. So this lovely Jesus that we worship on Sunday, don't think he's a little weak lamb or anything like that. He made a whip and he went in there and he created an uproar in the church. He turned the tables over. Imagine that, suddenly just turning over the tables. Money's rolling over the marble floor. Things are crashing on the ground. Stuff is going everywhere and he doesn't care. And he's got, not only has he turned it all over, he's also got a whip. And now he lays into them. Now that's the same, it's not a different Jesus that we worship, you know. Sometimes we forget we've got this lovely, emasculated, feminine Jesus who's just so loving. We can just worship him. Well, that's one aspect of him only. There's another where he's a lion. And it's it's recorded in the Bible that he made a whip in church. And then ran through the place, whipping people. <laughs> of course, we'd have them arrested, locked up, and sedated, and put away in a prison somewhere. You know? But he did that. He did that because he's passionate. He was passionate about some stuff. And they remembered the scripture. When they saw him do it, they remembered the scripture. The zeal of my father's house has consumed me. He said, i got a fire burning inside me. Well, some of you got a fire, but it may not be the right kind of fire. See? Young people have got to watch the kind of fire that burns in you. You know, there's a certain fire, you don't want to ignite it too early in your life, or it's a problem all your life. Right? But there's other fires, a fire of the passion. What is it you love? What is it you really love? When you do the things you're passionate about, you just energize, you come alive. I've seen Some people, that they love kids. And when they work with kids, they just come alive. You look at it, you see it in their face. Others, it scares the thought, it just scares them to even think of that. Some people have got a passion for money. And when they start counting money and, and adding money, they just come alive and they love doing this sort of thing. And, and other people, well, they've got a love for helping folks. They just, you know, something goes wrong, they run around, they've got a cake, they've got something to help. They, they come in and take over and they've made it all better. They just love it. And you see them and they're as happy as can be out there in the kitchen making things happen. They love it. See, it's their passion. And when you do, your, it, when you do what you're passionate about, you come alive. Ever met a man with gold fever? Oh, I met, I've met a few of them, been out there, and they, they go panning for gold in the rivers. You know what happens? They get this wild look in the eyes, come alive. You, start, you talk about gold, and their eyes come alive, and they tell you about this nugget, little fact that they got after all this life, and they're alive, they're passionate about it. I know what it's like, I got bitten by it. I spent a whole day in a river, digging shingle. And I've still got the gold. Not a lot of it, but there was very little to show for a day. But oh, I was passionate. You never know. Next stone you turn over, and where's gold? Gold! I could see it. I love gold. But I had to repent of all of that, see? So on the journey, we have things we get passionate about that aren't very good for us. Is that right? How I many have had a few things not, you've been passionate about wasn't very good for you? Usually those things cost us a lot of money, and we feel bad about it afterwards. I had a passion for V8s. Dear God, I remember sitting on my V8, grinding the valves and working the thing over and restoring this V8, and that was the first two years of my marriage. It's a bad time to be passionate about a V8, you know. It wasn't a good start at all. We won't go any further. We'll just some passion. So what do you love and what do you, see, what do you hate? That's a clue too. What do you hate? What do you really, what really gets you upset? Maybe God's called you to do something about that. What does it really grieves you? What stirs your heart and you feel a burden about it? That's probably something God wants you to do something about. And many times in the church, people come and say, why don't no one do something about that? Probably because you're the one supposed to do it and you aren't doing it. You know, the, the body is, is made of many parts. We all have a part to play. But to, to have a part to play means that God has a role for you. But discovering it's the key thing. If I can discover what I'm called to do and just do that passionately, then I'll find a fulfillment in my life. Okay, There's another thing. Flow. What naturally flows out of you? Flow. Flow. Desire, passion. Now flow. Flow. What naturally flows from you? John seven verses thirty eight and thirty nine. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. That means to flow like a continued, steady stream. Very easily. Watch a river flowing; it, it just—it's so easy. It's actually very relaxing when you're by a river. I like being by rivers, and the water just trickles. You know, I even got some a, a CD of New Zealand rivers and the, the birds and the stuff. I put it on every now and then. Well, just—it's quite nice to just listen to. It, it flows. Eh? Now, see the things that are. God has put in us come natural to us. Now, you see, when people get religious concepts, they think it just is so natural it couldn't be God. Actually, because it's natural tells you it is God because he made you. And if it comes naturally to you to do certain things, and when you do it, it's just, hey, that's so easy. There's no effort to do that. Well, I can do that. How come other people can't do that? Well, it's probably because God's wired you to do that somehow. It comes naturally to you. It's something that you like doing. It's something that's easy to do. People get these concepts that whatever God's going to ask me to do, I won't like doing. It's not true. It's not true. And and so many times we limit what God can do, but he will put us into things and into situations. And as you get out of the comfort zone and start to embrace it, you start to find you flow naturally and you're good at it. So so whatever God has put in us is natural to us. You'll gravitate to it. You'll flow in it. When you're doing that, it's easy. When you're doing something else, it's like pushing water uphill. So if you're pushing water uphill in most areas of your life, you're not doing the things God called you to do. You've got to find what God called you to do. It'll flow easily. Some people are very, find it very easy to work with people. See, evangelists are often like that. Man, they just get so excited. i to scared about Jesus with people. I'm passionate about evangelism. And I love talking to people. And there's other people, <laughs> you're scaring me. See? Because they don't have a similar passion. Their giftings and their flow is in another area. They all should, we should all care about the lost and reach out to them, but you know, there's different ways of doing it. A lot of different ways of doing it. Some can do it through helping people. Some can do it through serving evangelism. Some can do it through direct talk. Some do it that way. But you see, everyone's got a different flow and a different style, and you won't know till you've tried a few things what you're good at. So sometimes we've got to try some things. So if you're a young person, try lots of things. You don't know what you could do. You'll be living in the limitations of, of other people's expectancy or your disappointments. You've got to try a few things. See what you can do. You might find you really like it. You really get a buzz out of it. I took a uh, young... You know, we had Kevin here from Malaysia. and I said, Kevin, we, we've got a few things planned for you. So we took him out. And we went up to Taupo. went up to Rotorua. went here, there, and did a few things. And Then I took him out to Rod Patterson's farm to do some shooting. Well, when the whole trip was over, he said, Pastor Mike, we just want to come back next year. And we want to bring some of our leaders to come. We want to stay in your home. He said, wonderful. Wouldn't be wonderful? <laughs> he says, now, don't worry about taking us anywhere. We just want to go shooting. <laughs> Every night. So he's found something he's really passionate about. So last night, you know, after the meeting here, we had some meeting with the music, and I took him home, and we got him a movie. I knew he'd want to watch a movie. Then he said, Pastor Mike, can we go and shoot something? I said, I'm all ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, with Rodney, you only have to ask, can we go shooting, and he's a starter. It's just sort of, you see, there's some things we get passionate about. You've got to find what you're passionate about, what flows. And when you do things that are you, then you flow easy. It's not, don't be complicated. Whatever God's put in you will flow easy. Some people are creative. Some people, well, they just flow into dancing. The moves. Others, you think, oh, my God. There's nothing as joined and works right keep your day job <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see? so so different people have got different things they're good at so find I what, what naturally flows and you may have to search around to, di- to discover that because often when we're raised we're told all the things we can't do and and the things we ought to do and then we lose ourselves in the middle of it and don't know what we should do and we're doing all the things that don't flow naturally when you're doing things that God's called you to do that flow see the fourth thing is fruit fruit flow fruit Desire, passion, flow, fruit. Fruit, what? what is it you're good at or productive in? Now, that's a key. In Matthew 12, 33, you know a tree by its fruit. So you look down there and you see an orange tree. Blimey, down, it has got oranges on it. Now I don't even recognize orange trees, but I recognize an orange. When I have a look at an orange, and that's an orange tree. You do that the same. See, so the Bible says you know a tree by its fruit. So, of course, it applies to people as well. You know people by what they're good at, by what they're productive at. Even a child's known by what they do. When when Michelle was very young, he tells you she's going to be a teacher. She's already lining them all up and telling them what to do. Five. It was in her. She, she'd go to Kendi sp- or preschool, whatever it was, come home and line all the others up and then teach them what she'd been taught. It wasn't hard to work out. She's going to be a teacher. See? Now, and it's great if a parent can find what the kids have got in them and help cultivate it, give them experiences, give them opportunity for training that they can discover that and early in their life begin to find what they're good at and then do what they're good at. So whatever you're good at, whatever you produce fruit. Now, everything in nature has got a unique DNA. It's got literally a mandate to produce fruit. There's something in it that wants to produce. Everything in nature has got a mandate or a command, a divine decree, be fruitful, be productive. Listen, to be not productive is evidence you're not in the path God wants you to be in. There's something wrong. God has called, he's actually given us a mandate to be productive. It, you can only be fulfilled if you're productive. So we, we have to be productive. And so God expects us to be productive and design and command us to be productive. So what are you good at? What are you good at? What is it that every time you do it, boy, you seem to got an edge in it? Some people are great with computers. They, you know, others fiddle with it. And all they do is have to put it all in a bag and take it down to the man and pay to get it put back together. They get their wife to do that, by the way. <laughs> Others, they just got a knack. You know, you see them a little kid and they pulled it apart. And you think, my God, will it ever work again? But they just had this hunger and desire. Another thing is inner peace. Oh, sorry, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Here's another key. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is given from God. Here it is. That we might know the things freely given by God. So one of the functions and roles of the Holy Spirit who's given to you. Does everyone here have the Holy Spirit? You're born again, have the Spirit of God. Then one of the reasons He's given for you is that you might know the things God wants to give you. One thing He wants to give is direction in life. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives that direction. So God put His Spirit in you to, to guide and direct and give some kind of direction. But if we want to hear the Holy Spirit, we've got to be willing to obey it's not like, well, Holy Spirit, that's your job. You tell me, but I'm going to run my life if I agree with it. If I don't agree with what you want, I'll do something else. Listen, if we must if we, we learn to, to develop a love for the Holy Spirit, a love for the presence of God, a love to hear His voice, as you develop that love relationship with Him, as you develop your desire for Him, then what happens is you begin to hear Him. So we must want the Holy Spirit to flow through us, and we must learn not to grieve Him. Some things grieve Him. And when, when a person's grieved, they don't talk too good even notice when your wife's grieved she's either got a lot to say and you all hear about it or there's nothing to say and you all know about that too isn't that true? when the Holy Spirit is grieved he usually withdraws and you have no consciousness of his presence you feel then like you're alone you're not alone it's just you don't have good fellowship with the Holy Spirit he said he won't leave you but you may not feel his presence at all And so this is why we we want strong expressions in the church meetings so that as we have strong expressions of praise to God and we make offering to God, that we might experience His presence and in the middle of it hear Him talk to us. And He can talk to you through the message I'm preaching. He can talk to you personally in your personal life. He can drop a seed thought into you. He can put all kinds of things into your heart. But He wants to talk with you. He's given to be your friend. Some people are lonely in life, but actually there's a friendship with the Holy Spirit God wants us to learn about. Because for every person who's a man or woman of God, there'll come a season in your life where no one around you understands you, a season where you seem to be all alone, but you're not alone. God is with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in those times when everything seems wrong and everything seems like it's just overwhelming, that's the time your roots are to go down into God. And when no one seems to understand and life is overwhelming and you're down there in that place, then that's the place to lock into God. And as we lean and begin to trust Him we begin to fo- and listen and obey Him, we begin to form a deeper relationship. And out of that, you learn to hear His voice. There's a price for relationships. You have to invest in them there's no kind of de facto casual relationship with God he's not into casual sex he's into committed relationships if you want to walk with God and have the guidance of the Holy Spirit you must actually live a committed life a life engaging God a life that wants him that wants relationship and that when all else is gone and you're in the latter years of your life and twilights there you still have the one thing you've wanted more than anything in life that presence of God, okay? Most wonderful thing, wonderful thing. I have discovered that. And he can take away everything I've got. The one thing I still have will be God, This presence of God. So things, they're, they're wonderful to have, but they can just, I give them away too. It's no big deal, see? But what is a big deal is the presence of God. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. You can have everything else. And there was a Bible. There's a story of a man. He had everything else. He, had, he, was, he was a wise investor, smart businessman. Really, you'd look at him and mad. You envied him. He had all the latest gear and everything like that. But God's evaluation was he was a fool. Because God said, you, you saved up all the stuff, but you had nothing, no treasure in heaven. You were never generous. You never gave. You never did this. You never invested in anything that was worthwhile. You, you're foolish. You've got to leave it all behind. They'll just all spend it. And you've got nothing. You leave everything behind. And what are you going to do? I was reading something you know in in America you know there was the the war between the north and the south the the Union and then the the Confederates and the the Union United States they had their currency and the Confederate States had their own flag and their own currency and then there was a war between the two states and uh, the two parts of the nation and as the war began to turn and it was quite clear the Confederates were defeated what do you think was the value of their currency zero it was no longer a valid currency now all that you have now the day you die will no longer be valid currency it just has got no value not to you anyway so, so that's why we must lock into our purpose so we're using what we have and using our gifts that we, we do something that advances the cause of Christ and we lay up an eternal inheritance okay so there it is so listen to the Holy Ghost listen to the Holy Ghost okay here's the third number six inner peace inner peace uh, see, when you're doing the thing God wants you to do, there's a peace inside, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. That word rule is an umpire. It means, that, you know, like, go down, I went down and watched Jo when she's playing her, her netball there, and there's uh, all these girls running around, and uh, I was in, had instructions to bring a camera down and take photos of my daughter and my daughter-in-law, so I'm there with this camera taking all the photos, and people wondering what I'm up to. I'm taking the photos. I've got this whole heap of photos of kids all playing a game, but there's someone there kept blowing a whistle. Why won't you let them get on with the game? You keep blowing the whistle and stopping the game. Well, they stop the game because they've done something wrong. The umpire is vital to the game being a successful game, being played according to the rules. You break the rules, the umpire blows the whistle. Forward pass, umpire blows the whistle. You know, you know, and, and so, but the Bible says the peace of God is an umpire in your heart. He blows a whistle on you every time you're doing something wrong so when you're walking with God you may not feel God you may not feel anything very much sometimes you feel nothing don't think I'm full of joy all the time sometimes I feel nothing much but it's, when you've got a deep commitment to the Lord you just keep walking anyway feelings come feelings go but at the end there's this peace inside you're walking in the path of God it's a peace that's beyond understanding it's a peace the world doesn't know anything about the world wants peace but their desire for peace is i want everyone around me to be nice and quiet and look after me, and they want it just peaceful and so all kinds of compromise comes with that but and, and if you're that kind of person you'll just want peace around you at any price some parents want peace at any price and they compromise the training of their children you see the peace god talks about an inward peace it's like even though there's turmoil all around me inside i am rested God is leading me. It's going to be all fine somehow. See, that's an inward peace. It's the most wonderful thing in your life to have inner peace, just a feeling. It's all at rest on the inside, but that doesn't mean it's all at rest on the outside. You can have all kinds of turmoil and uncertainty. And uh, many Christians live a life of compromise. What, they, what their true goal is is not the peace of God. Is they want people actually they want the absence of conflict around them. But to live the life of God will create some conflicts for you. If you're going to embrace God's purpose, you'll have to understand, if you follow men of God who had a purpose in life, the very act of embracing what God called you to do is an act of rebellion against everyone else's plan for you. And it's a rebellion against the world trying to make you some kind of person. It's a statement of war. I am now breaking free of all this. I'm gonna walk with God and when you do that you have some conflicts all these people that loved you and were so happy with you now they're mad at you because you become a Christian they're mad at you because you want to come to church I now listen, I there are, there are there are parents of some young people here they would be happier for their kids to go out to the pub and to drink than to be in church talk about deceived irresponsible people with no concept of what it means to be a true parent. I tell you what I can tell about them is they've got a conscience defiled by their own sin, and they're trying to make themselves feel better by giving permission for their kids to do it. They don't want their own kids to challenge them with a better life. What a tragedy that is. You would know people like that. Stand up to them. Stand up to them. Stand up to them. An ungodly life always has poor fruit down the line. See? And, and, and sometimes you've got to say, you've just got to talk straight into it. You want your child to have so many relationships sexually that they can't hold a genuine marriage together? Do you think that having a lot of sex before you get married is going to help you build a great marriage? No, you won't. You're going to have such a defilement in your soul, you won't even know how to give yourself intimately to one person. See, sometimes you've just got to challenge people. they has just got no sense on them. They got no sense in them, and and there are times. You see, I, I know one or two. I know some of the young people here that have made a decision that they would walk with God. Made a decision. They'd live a clean life, and then at their workplace, they're mocked because they're not living with the other person. Say, I know. I happen to know that in, jo- in Sophie's workplace, when they saw the ring, they silenced. And when they come to the serv- service, all that they have to say will be taken away because God will be there, and, and see, people know what's right in their heart, and when they're done wrong, they try and get everyone else to do wrong, so they'll feel better, and when you, do, you say, I'm going to live my life for God, it's an act of war, but you've got to have peace on the inside, and, that'll cre- and the act of walking with God creates turmoil around you at times, sometimes turmoil in the family. There were turmoil in my family relationships over me becoming a Christian perhaps because of some immaturity that I had, but but also the very act of following Christ divides everything. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Walking with God has its own levels of conflict. That's why it can't be half-hearted. It's all too hard. But if you're single-minded, you can absolutely be sure when you get up to do something, God's with you. Okay, so the peace of God, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guide and keep your hearts. And that means to guard or to watch or to watch against fears and things. The peace of God is one way that we know we're on the right track. When there's peace, you're on the right track. Here's the next one. Dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. If you have persistent dreams and visions, what is it you dream about? What is it inside you can see? What is it that there's, a, there's this thing inside you that it burns? You know, in Acts 2.17, it says, The Holy Ghost will give dreams and visions. Acts 2.17. Young men, old men. Listen. God's plan is that you have dreams in your heart. The dream is your future, but it becomes your future when you put specific action steps to it. No dream, you have no future. See, if you have a dream and you're working to fulfill a dream, you're building a future, you're fulfilling a destiny. We need a dream in our heart. We need something of a vision in our heart. Without a vision, people perish. So dream, what you dream about. Now, some of you will have a dream. And, and, and maybe the dream seems so impossible, you could ever do it. It's just everyone around said, don't be stupid. Listen, this happens, you know. When Joseph got a dream, they all hated him because he had a dream. He's this young boy, 17. Oh, oh I had a dream in my heart. Oh, you, I, got a really, I want to be the leader. I hated that dream. So having a dream, often when you have a dream in your heart, never, never knock kids for dreams. Some, some of the dream thieves are parents. Take the dreams out of your child's heart. You can't do that. Now what they're really saying is I could never dream to do that and you're not going to either. Don't steal dreams out of a child's heart because it seems big and fanciful. Allow them to dream. Allow them to dream about what life could be, about what could be. While they're young and unencumbered by lots of things, allow them to dream, encourage them to dream, encourage them to ask God to show them things. Let them see things while they're very young. They don't have to wait till they're old to find God. They can find Him when they're very young. In our kids' church, many of the kids have had visions, and they start to get a thing burning. them. I want to be this. This is wonderful. Just because we never had that doesn't mean we should rob the next generation of it. We want them to have dreams. We want the young kids to have a dream. I've seen girl, girl. She comes up and she's alive with passion. She's so excited about everything she's doing. She's got got an evangelistic spirit in her heart. She's going to have a great influence with her life. You can see it right there when she's young. Why would you ever want to cut that out? I've had kids go to kids' camp and they come back. Oh, I like this. The parents say, oh, we'll get over it. Why would you get over it? Why would you say such a terrible thing? Why would you steal a dream? See, dreams... They are our future. Dreams are things God puts in our heart. and Some of you may have a dream you've been sitting on all your life, and there'll be a timing for your dream, and there's a preparation for your dream. Some of you have got dreams growing in you, and it seems like there's no possibility it could ever happen. But listen, love the dream, dream the dream, see the details, and prepare your life. One day, doors will open, and the dream will start to become reality. You have to see that. I saw when, when, when Steve came in and where he was at, but there was a dream in his heart. Now the dream's being fulfilled and there's new dreams. And many of you have come in here and God's put something in your heart. see You rose up when you had a dream. A dream gives you a future. And instead of focusing on all the negatives and trying to overcome them, get a hold of a dream. Position yourself to let God talk with you. Dare to dream what you could be. See, Joseph dreamed of being a leader. He said, I'm going to be a leader. God show me. And they all hated him for his dream. So dreamers don't get, they often get hated. Moses had a dream in Acts 7, 23 to 25. It says there that God put into his heart. Here he is, he doesn't even really know God that's already in his heart. And he's he's there walking one day and he sees this Egyptian guy beating up these uh, Hebrew slaves and something in them. And he goes and he kills the man. That sort of set him back about 40 years. But, however, it was all part of a dream that was in him. He just didn't know how to channel the dream. Just didn't know how to get the dream activated. So he had a bit of a hard time while he developed foundations with God. And then, out of that, became a place where he could walk with God and the dream be fulfilled. Joseph had 13 years before the dream was fulfilled. So we need to discover it. So the thoughts and dreams you have in your heart can be a key. Here's the last one I'll share today. Exodus 31 and verses 2 to 6. Exodus 31. 2 through to 6. Here's another, here's another good one. And this is godly counsel. Sometimes we need others to tell us. To tell us what they see in us. Do you have anyone knows you well enough to see things in you? If they don't know you. They probably won't see things. And how they get to know you? They watch you in various situations. And uh, My daughter. Je- uh, Exodus 31 verses 2 to 6. Now <clears throat> and it tells us here it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, of the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now look at this. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, knowledge, all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold, Ooh, to work in silver, yes, to work in bronze, and jewels, and diamonds, for ah, setting and carved wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. See, now look, this is what God's saying to Moses. Moses. You see that feller over there? I want you to see what I put in him. Because I put design works in him. I've made him a creative person. I have made him a designer. I've made him somebody who can work with gold and silver. And I put my anointing on him. And if you'll position him to do it, you'll be amazed what he can make. He is exactly what you need to fulfill this vision. Every one of you here, in some way, have something that's needed for God to do through the church what he wants to do. Everyone. Everyone. We've all got our part. The hardest thing is to get to find it and then to get to do it. And you notice what God uh, said here. God spoke to Moses, and then Moses told all the people, see this fellow here. God's anointed him for this work. We're going to lay hands on him now and give him the job. Can you see that? So, so we need others to help us discover what we've got. And sometimes Godly people see in us what we don't see in ourselves. That's why older ones, pray over, and you see these younger ones in here, pray for them. Get a burden on your heart for them. Get to watch them. Get to know them. and Maybe God will give you a word for them. Not some silly word, but just a word to inspire greatness. To inspire greatness. Young people need others to believe in them, to believe they could be great. And you can be. You've got seeds of greatness in you. You just get to get a dream. And sometimes it needs godly people. So we do need others. It's our responsibility to build relationships where others can talk into our life. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 1, a person who isolates himself is pursuing his own desires. So if you're one who isolates, you've got relational problems. Isolation is a consequence of the fall. It's not a godly thing. Now, there are seasons to be alone in the presence of God, but isolating, deliberately isolating withdrawing from relationship When I see a person withdrawing from a relationship, I tell you one thing, he's got a plan of his own, even if he's not telling me. The Bible says, whoever isolates himself is seeking their own desire. They've got their own agenda, their own plan. So they isolate so they can do it. See, so we need one another. We need the help of one another. And In in a corporate body, when we're in small groups and we're connecting people know us, there are people who can see things in our life. So Psalm 1 verse 1 says, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Young people, you want to have a look up that word counsel in the Bible. Counsel means some advice. If you're going to get to where you need to get, you need good advice. And not everyone will give you good advice. If you're going to get where God called you, you need godly counsel. So the Bible says, don't walk in ungodly counsel. It doesn't mean you can't get people who are in the world uh, who are unsafe to give you some kind of insights and understanding. But for your main advice and direction and decisions in life, you need godly counsel. Godly counsel doesn't mean that the person's been around a long time. It means they have the heart of God for you, and they will advise you what God is wanting for your life, and not just tell you some sweet talk. See, so choose carefully who you listen to. You, who you listen to. The the Bible tells us very clearly that the ones that we're fellowshipping with and walking with actually shape who we are, what we become, and where we go. It tells us very clearly: if you walk with wise men, you become wise but a companion of fools will be destroyed. So your relationships now are telling a message about where you're going in your future. Your relationships now are sounding a message about where your future is. If you are continually hanging out and your friends are negative people, you have a negative future. If you are hanging out with angry people, you will become filled with injustice. If you are hanging out with people who are, are purposeless, you yourself will begin to lose all sense of purpose. It will diminish in your life slowly, little by little. And in the course of a year or so, you'll find yourself without purpose, caught up in the crowd. Young people, you need to choose people who are to, that you can connect with who can inspire you to greatness. And you need the counsel of people who are godly. Hopefully, our parents will give us godly counsel. They don't always because of their own fears. But nevertheless, we should hearken to what parents say. God tells us we'll honor them and listen to their counsel. So I found, like I was talking, I've talked with many people who had a difficult marriage and asked them this question repeatedly, what did your father and mother say about this marriage before you got into it? And I found that every time, without exception yet, that the marriage that was in trouble was a marriage that a parent had advised them, that's not a good place to go. But they didn't listen. So godly counsel can make a huge difference to the outworking. Now, get this, who you marry will have a huge outworking on where your life goes. I just thank God for my wife because I would not be here without her passionate uh, support for me and friendship with me and standing with me. Just wouldn't be. I could not have done it. Well, think about that. Think about that. You want the right woman. You want the right person. And I still love her. And I open car doors for her instead of making the thing beep, beep, beep when she's slow getting out. <laughs> we, have a we enjoy our life together. We have fun together. We still have lots of fun and laughs together. Why shouldn't we? Friends in life. That's what it's about, friends. So you need godly friends. So there it is. So not hard, is it? So you've got some keys now to how to find your purpose. Uh, now, what, what you wanted was to be real easy, but it all involves a bit of work in head. you notice? You've got to do so. And let me give you a couple of scriptures to finish with. Paul, at the end of his life, wrote this thing. He made this statement. They were telling him, listen, Paul, if you go there, it's going to be difficult. If you do this, it's going to be real hard. You know, if you do this, they're going to throw you in jail. Now, listen, when you decide to follow your purpose, people say, but what about your money? And what about your career? What about this? What about that? And all kinds of difficulties that come." Listen, listen, this is what Paul said. Listen, none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear to myself that I might run my course and finish my race that God has set before me God has a race a course for you to run that course is his purpose for your life it's not over till you're dead then you got no more chances but if you still got breath in you you can make changes now and begin to come on course with what God wants for your life at the end of Paul's life he was able to say this I have run I have fought my fight, I have run my course And now there's a crown of reward laid up for me. Are you positioning yourself to discover your purpose in life? Are you investing your life in the purpose of God? Or are you wasting your life one day at a time until there come a day when you'll say like Saul said, I have exceedingly erred and I've played the fool. I wasted the life God gave me by putting it into things that never counted. Friend, your life is precious. It's so precious, God gave His life for you. Don't waste it. Discover why He put you in this place. Discover what He put in your heart and begin to pursue it with passion. You owe it to yourself to do that. Will everyone be happy about that? No, they won't. Will everyone agree with it? No, they won't. But does that really matter? What matters when you get to the end of your life, you look back and you say, I did what God wanted me to do. I've succeeded with my life. I look back at all the major decisions I made. Some of the people closest to me were against the decision. And if I'd followed their advice, I'd have gone into a bad place. But oh, I thank God I had the courage to say, yes, I'll pursue passionately what you want me to do. And when it was overwhelming and when it looked like I couldn't go any further and I had nothing in me to go any further, I got on my knees and said, God, it wasn't my idea to be here. It was your plan. And you've got to help me now and show me what to do. Come on, what a great thing, no matter what crisis you're in, to be able to come on your knees before the Lord and say, God, you brought me here. You're going to lead me on. Why don't we just close our eyes right now? purpose. Your purpose, why you're here. most important thing after your relationship with God that you need to discover. Can you imagine like Paul getting to the end of your life? There you are. The last week or so of your life. You'll start to look back. You won't wish you had more cars and you won't wish you had a bigger house and a brighter house and You won't wish you had more money in the bank, and you won't wish you had more shares. You won't wish that, uh, there's a lot of things you won't wish for. Uh, This is what you wish for. I just wish I'd taken more risks. I just wish I had done more of what God wanted me to do. I just wish I'd sown into people. I just wish I'd followed all that God had for me. I wish I hadn't played it safe and followed the crowd and listened to my fears. I want to be like, Paul, my race is over, and I have fought the fight, and I finished my course and never went off track. Henceforth, a crown, a crown of glory. You know you want that. Something in you is stirring today. You want that. But you've got to discover what God put in you. Build your relationship.